Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and this is Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Now, let's continue our series today, Faith That Works, with a message entitled, Genuine Faith Loves Genuinely. So turning your Bibles to James chapter 2, verses 8 to 13, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. A few years ago, Kathy and I were on our way to church in the evening, and it was early November, and we were running just a little late. And I stepped on the gas as the car moved along, and I was halfway up the road, and God spoke to me. What did you just see? Well, I'd seen in the gathering darkness an elderly Korean woman sitting on the sidewalk across the street from our house. I thought, I have no time to investigate that. I'm on my way to church. Everyone is expecting me. And then it seemed that God showed me, there is your neighbor. Well, so I turned the car around and I went back. And we found out that she was from Korea and she was in Canada visiting her children and she'd gone for a walk and she'd gotten lost and it was getting colder and she knew no English. And in desperation, she sat down on the sidewalk opposite our house and she started to cry. And that's when my car shot by her and I would have kept going if God had not reminded me, she is your neighbor. And so as we have some Koreans in our neighborhood, we took her to a Korean house and they understood her and and they explained her plight to us. And in no time, they had brought her home. And I thought about that later. It took so little effort to bless that woman. And were it not for the fact that I sensed that God had arrested me, I mean, I would have passed this woman by and done nothing about her needs. What's the matter with me, I thought. How is it that, that I ignore my fellow human beings with such ease? And that's the idea I want to get at today. If your faith is genuine, says James, it loves genuinely. It it loves your neighbor. It takes an interest in his or her good, in his or her welfare. We're studying the book of James, and this is a series we've called Faith That Works. The entire series is supposed to teach us whether or not our faith is genuine. James has been telling us that we must persevere in faith all through life in order to inherit the crown of life. He has also told us that in order to do that, we must be under the teaching of the Word. And then he warns, don't just hear the Word, be doers of the Word. We need both doctrine and doing, faith and works. You know, some of you know that the two chemical ingredients of salt are sodium and chlorine. If we ingested either one of them by themselves, we would die because sodium and chlorine are poisons. But when we combine them, it gives flavor to our food and health to our bodies. That's what doctrine and doing is, faith and works. If it's only doctrine, it's toxic. If it's only doing, it's also toxic. Just a little thought tells us that's so. You know, we all know individuals who only discuss doctrine, and it's not long when they become the most unattractive people we know. And the people who only do Well, there are often people who lead the entire church into error and create endless harm. And with that wonderful teaching of the necessity of both believing and doing, James gets practical. He starts by asking us to consider how we treat the poor and then demands that we welcome both poor and rich alike into our worship services without showing any partiality. And having given us a very practical way of being doers of the word, James is now ready to teach us more Bible doctrine. So I'm reading James 2, 8 to 13. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing well. 
But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. For judgment is without mercy to one who has shown no mercy. Mercy triumphs over judgment. You know, many people reading James for the first time are are shocked at how often the term law shows up in James. You know, in the six verses we've just read, he mentions the law five times and he implies it another two times and then gives two specific examples of Old Testament laws. So this passage is all about the Old Testament law and its importance in the lives of believers. And frankly, that's so confusing to many of us. So for instance, Romans 3 verse 20 says, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight. So in other words, you won't get right with God by doing the law. And and that's true. Trying hard and doing your best and keeping the Ten Commandments, well, all that won't get you into heaven. See, that's all true. Only the grace of Christ will get you into heaven. Trust in him alone. That is good doctrine. But then, and here's where some of us get confused. Well, we say, you know, if all the law does is condemn, and if all the cross does is forgive, then shouldn't we do away with the law and just cling to the cross? And that kind of thinking is often thinking without doctrine. We've only enough truth to be dangerous, not enough to be rightly related to God. See, here in the book of James, we are called back to the law. And more, James keeps on warning us about violating the law. And so what are we to make of all of that? Well, in order to answer that, let's listen to James. First, would you notice in verse 8 what he calls the law? He calls it the royal law. Think of it this way. We have laws in Canada, but we never call them royal laws. I know, I know, Canada is a member of the Commonwealth, and as such, we are under the British crown. But in truth, that is to a large part simply ceremonially. And and yeah, I know again that we're continually told that the monarchy has a very important function in this country, and only the governor general can call parliament into session, and only the governor general is the queen's representative can dissolve the parliament. But the crown doesn't make our laws. Laws are made by the members of parliament who are elected from their various writings, and it is these elected representatives of the people who make and they pass laws, not a king or a queen. And as we've all heard it before, if you don't like what they're doing, just throw the bums out. You see, we've all heard that. See, that's one of the differences between the Old Testament law and the law of Canada. The Old Testament law is the royal law because the law was made not by elected representatives, but by royalty, that is, by God. His law is a reflection of his righteousness. But James, I think, when he speaks about the royal law, is also referring to Jesus, who is the great king. The law, he says, belongs to Christ. It doesn't belong to the Jews or to the Old Testament or to the people who lived many years ago. This is Christ's law, his royal law. So what can we say about the law? Well, James answers, it belongs to the king. But then James isn't done. 
According to verse 8, this royal law is fulfilled by loving our neighbor as ourselves. And here he quotes Leviticus 19, verse 18, which says, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. See, what's fascinating about Leviticus 19 is how practical that chapter is. It forbids landowners from harvesting their land to the edges or stripping their vineyard bare. You're supposed to leave some fruit hanging there for the poor so they can wander into your field and eat. Then it demands that you pay laborers a proper wage and that you pay it promptly. Well, on and on goes the chapter. Each individual law is a kind of a case study, putting the command to love your neighbor as yourself into as a practical manner as it can possibly be. And Jesus said the same. Listen to Matthew 22, verses 35 to 40. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment of the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So according to Jesus, the entire law was intended to teach only two things. Love God, that's the greatest. Love your neighbor, that's the next. And that's it. And James wants to talk to us about the second half of that formula because, after all, he is talking about how we treat the poor and whether we welcome them into our houses of worship. The entire royal law, the law of the king, is summed up in the command to love your neighbor. See, but that's precisely the problem between doctrine people and the doing people. The doing people often ignore the royal law. And the doctrine people sometimes, in their hurry to define every law and to know how to apply it, have forgotten the entire purpose of the law. You see, the law was supposed to teach you how to love and how to do love. It was supposed to tell you what to do when a a poor man in shabby clothing comes into your house of worship and what to do when you encounter a man who's been beaten and robbed on the way to Damascus and what to do when you encounter a foreign woman freezing on the sidewalk outside of your home. At Back to the Bible Canada, our mission is simple teach the Bible. The perfect guidance and instruction on how we are to live our lives is already available in His Word. The Bible is the only self-help book you'll ever need. This month, we have an outstanding resource to help prime your hearts to receive the wisdom of the Bible. Before You Open Your Bible by Matt Smethurst is an excellent book that shares how we can position our mindset to one of gratitude and humbleness in preparation for reading the Word. We're confident this will help positively influence the way you view your Bible study. And that's why we've made this resource available for you for free for the month of July. So simply call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca to request your free copy or to send a financial gift to support this Bible teaching ministry. I know I've said it before, but I want to say it again. The entire New Testament, which which is a revelation of Jesus, it also teaches us how to interpret and to apply the Old Testament law for us today. So then, if that's true, should we keep Jewish dietary restrictions? Answer, 
No, that was for the Old Testament Jews alone. It taught them how to keep separate from the nations and not to be involved in idolatry. See, those are laws specific to Israel alone and not to New Testament believers today. Yeah, but I can almost hear someone saying, how do you know you're right? Well, Acts 15, Mark 7, 19, Romans 14, 17, I mean, tells us that Jewish dietary laws are not for believers in Jesus today. No, the New Testament was unequivocal. There are Old Testament laws that were specific to the national life of Israel only. Well, then you might say, well, who gets to decide which is which? Oh, that's a good question. Listen, the New Testament, when you read it, given by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, will help you to interpret and to apply the law for the followers of Jesus. It's going to help us to see what laws are given to build up the Jewish people and nation and which laws are to be applied to New Testament believers today. To put it simply, well, you can eat pork but you may not commit adultery. The New Testament works all that out for us. Now, for our purposes, I I do feel tempted to explain all of this fully, but I'm afraid if I do, I'm gonna go far too far afield from our study of James. And so let's just assume for our sakes that you can wear different kinds of fabric in your clothing, but you may not envy your neighbor's property. There is a royal law which Jesus has made clear for New Testament believers. Now, notice verse 8 again. James doesn't tell us to become Jewish, but he tells us to fulfill the law. See, we don't become legalists, kind of like the Pharisees. I mean, they identified 613 laws in the Old Testament and then taught sub-rules to help you to keep them. No, no, that's not us. Rather, we become a fulfillment of all that the law intended. And what the law intended was to help you to identify genuine love from fake love. It was to teach you to love. Think of it this way. In our culture, love can mean everything from sacrificial acts of care for someone to having sex. But along comes the law of God, the royal law, and it will teach you well. I mean, soon you won't be calling a lot of things love anymore. You'll understand what love actually means. Okay, if what the law is is a showcase that teaches us love and how to love genuinely, then James is ready to take us to our next doctrinal lesson. He wants to teach us the kinds of conduct that the law was intended to uncover. Notice again verses 9 to 11. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. For whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become guilty of all of it. For he who said, do not commit adultery, also said, do not murder. If you do not commit adultery but do murder, you have become a transgressor of the law. Have you heard the words the law uses? Sin, transgressor, fail, as in failure, accountable. I mean, behind all of those words is an implied word, lawbreaker. That's the thing about the law. It's disturbing. You see, the law identifies sin as a very serious matter. James, of course, is still talking about the situation that happened in church last Sunday. A rich guy came in and was ushered to the best place in the house, and a poor guy came in and was told to stand out of sight in the back. Now, we could dismiss this as poor judgment or an, or an oversight or even simply following the cultural norm. But then comes the law, and the law that demands we love our neighbor as ourselves, 
And suddenly, this act that we easily dismiss as a minor matter is now put under scrutiny. And we hear the king, the giver of the law, pronounce his verdict. Lawbreaker. James uses the word transgressor. A transgressor is someone who willfully goes beyond God's border and strays into territory condemned by God. Now, we might say, well, that seems just a bit extreme. Are you saying that if I show partiality to the rich over the poor, I'm a transgressor? Yes, that's exactly what the law uncovers. It shows us behavior that we so easily dismiss in ourselves. It shows us how intensely serious this stuff is. Well, how serious? Well, James says, if you fail to obey at one point, you're guilty of breaking it all. See, I don't think James is saying that all sins are equally serious, as if murder is the same as using profanity. I mean, some people do make that mistake. I mean, you hear it said all the time, all sin is just sin. So if you're a child molester, that's about the same as someone who stole a dress from a store. Common sense tells you that can't be the case. So, So what is James saying? James sees that the royal law is a different kind of law. The king demands that every one of his citizens loves his neighbor as himself, and each infraction, some more serious than others, are nonetheless a rebellion against the king. And rebellion is rebellion, sin, hatred, first of God, then of neighbor. Look at it this way. You know, some things in life are partial, and some things in life are all or nothing. So let's say I asked one of my kids when they were young, did you clean your room? Yeah, they say. So I walk in, and it's a mess. I thought you said you cleaned your room, I say. My child answers, well, I shoved my clothes back into one drawer and I crammed some of my toys under the bed. In other words, I may not be all the way there, but I did something. But some things in life are all or nothing. You know, my child is playing soccer on a team, let's say. And Did you score today? Well, that's all or nothing. Either the ball left your foot and went between the two goalposts and completely crossed the line, or it didn't. It's, it's all or nothing. Now, how many of us think of our response to God as partial? You know, God, I'm doing my best. And God says, actually, you missed the mark. You didn't score. You failed entirely. Keeping the law is not partial. It's absolute. And then James gives an illustration, one that, for the life of me, I find very curious about murder and adultery. Someone who murders but is proud that they didn't commit adultery. I don't know about you, but... If I were trying to make the point, I think that James is making, I would have put it the other way around. I would say, James, if you're going to use two laws, that of murder and adultery, in my illustration, I would have the person committing adultery but not murdering. But James tells us of a man who murdered and says, I still did partial obedience because I didn't commit adultery. See, in our minds, that's ludicrous. But is it? See, in James' day, there were people who were called zealots. These were people who loved Israel and claimed to keep the law. They were freedom fighters. They wanted to force the Romans out of Israel. They wanted the kingdom of David to be restored. And so they advocated acts of violence against Romans, and sometimes they killed. But since they were loyal to the God of Israel, they would never soil themselves with the world, and they would never commit adultery. And James says, so you're keeping yourself clean from sexual immorality. Didn't the same God tell you not to murder? Do you think you can pick and choose which commands you're going to obey? You know, in our culture, we put things the other way around. Sexual immorality is rampant in our culture, everything from premarital sex to adultery to pornography to homosexuality and other acts. 
All sorts of people claim to care about the civil rights of others, but they commit adultery. And James would say to us, you're not different than the zealot terrorists. You're also a lawbreaker. So we come to verse 12. So speak and so act as those who are to be judged under the law of liberty. You hear James' words? So speak and so act. Hear and do. Doctrine and doing. Sodium and chloride. You always, always, always need them both if you don't have them, don't you see? You'll always excuse and justify yourself. There are those who say, but I give myself to the poor. And James says, do you commit adultery? And there are those who say, I give myself to sexual purity. But James will ask, do you feed the poor? I mean, do you hear it? We justify ourselves based upon our cultural mores in the world in which we live. We pat ourselves on the back, and that's only because we haven't ever been told that it's all or nothing. Think of it this way. Let's say the police arrest you for shoplifting. You think that won't count against you because you never speed when you're in your car. Well, of course not. You're not excused as a lawbreaker because you've kept another law. Lawbreaker. Transgressor. A man or a woman who doesn't love. And in the end, James will say, If we understand the law rightly, we will see it as a law of liberty. I'm going to leave that for tomorrow. But today, let me add this one statement. If we listen to God and if we pay attention to his commands, we will learn how to love so that we no longer fool ourselves. John, I think I've heard this more recently more often than I ever have before. People saying that, you know what, I'm a follower of Jesus. So I just, I want to love like Jesus. I want to do the things Jesus does. I want to be like Jesus. But it doesn't really go any further from that. Where do they find out who this Jesus is? Yeah, and that's true. And furthermore, the real Jesus of history commands his followers. I mean, he doesn't just provide for us examples. He surely does that. But he commands behavior of us and demands our obedience because he is our king. He's our monarch. He has given us his royal law. These are not suggestions, but his followers are to fall in line with his commands. I mean, I think it needs to be said that way. Yes, it's true. We trust in Christ and his sacrificial death covers our sin. But that doesn't give us license to not pay attention to his commands. So I think that's what James teaches. Thanks so much, John. And remember to join us here again tomorrow on Back to the Bible Canada, where we teach the Bible. Hi, it's Ben Lowell from Back to the Bible Canada. You know, we believe Bible teaching is critical for God's people. And your support is critical in making the daily Bible teaching program with Dr. Newfeld available on this station. But we know there may be times when you miss the radio program, so we wanted to remind you of all the opportunities available for free for your use and convenience. At backtothebible.ca, you can search through a library of messages and series, both audio and video with Dr. John. But you can also learn how to subscribe for our ministry podcasts, YouTube channels, mobile applications, and print resources. Our mission is to serve you so that Bible teaching you can trust is accessible to as many people in as many ways as possible. For more information or to make a donation to this ministry, 
Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.